0: This is Need to Know, real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Colthart. From the US, Bryce Zabel.
1: Hello and welcome to Need to Know, the podcast that chases down the latest news and analyzes the important issues in the fascinating world of UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. I'm Ross Coulthard from Down Under in Australia and from Los Angeles. Let's welcome my co-host and fellow denizen in the high strangeness world investigating the phenomenon, Bryce Zabel.
0: Hey, Roscoe. You know, we're about to start summer here, which means, if I'm not mistaken, you're about to start winter, right?
1: Yep, and that's why I sound like foghorn leghorn. I have a cold. (laughs) I have my first cold of the year. Well, I'm excited,
0: actually, because... uh, You know, tomorrow, my wife and I are celebrating our anniversary, uh, oddly enough, by going up to Santa Barbara to see Bob Dylan uh, play at the uh, Santa Barbara Bowl, because it's a beautiful location, it's outdoors, and you can get out and enjoy yourself. You know, did you know that Bob Dylan was born in May of 1941, which means that he was born before the UFO cover-up kicked off in earnest in 1947, and that's something, as Ross said, that we're going to be talking about later today. Now, the great thing I like about Dylan, besides a lifetime of really compelling songs, is there's always a lyric or a quote for practically any occasion. So you might say, well, what about Disclosure? Well, the easy go-to for Disclosure of UAP UFO reality would probably be the times they are a changing. But, you know, that feels too easy. It's not on his set list. So to kick us off today, I'm picking a song that's in Bob's Concerts playlist and off his new album, which is called Rough and Rowdy Ways. And this is his song, Black Rider. I dedicate these lyrics to the people who know a lot about the UAP issue, but so far have not really been forthcoming. And they're not showing the world their work product. These are the lyrics. Black Rider, Black Rider. You've been living too hard. You've been up all night having to stay on your guard. The path that you're walking is too narrow to walk. Every step of the way, another stumbling block. The road that you're on, Same road that you know, but it's not the same as it was a minute ago. That, I think, has a lot to say about where we are with disclosure right now.
1: Well, Bryce, I don't want to be unkind about Bob Dylan, but I, I just momentarily have to be. I went to one of his concerts in Sydney a few years ago, and I honestly couldn't understand a word he said. So I hope those lyrics are articulated more clearly at his
0: concert. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they'll be on people's phones, or maybe it, it couldn't be just because you're Australian and you couldn't understand his form of English. I understand. He does yeah. tend to hide a little bit on stage, I'm told. Is that true? That's true. Hey, so
1: this week, we're having a birthday, or at least an anniversary. It's 75 years since the so-called summer of the sources. Now, you might think that 2022 has been momentous with Pentagon and intelligence officials doing double backflips with Pike in their efforts to now admit that UAPs, UFOs, are real. After decades of denial, evasion, lies, and yes, cover-up but 1947 is arguably the beginning of the modern ufo era and it's far huger in significance as you will hear now we're going to get into that into our next segment but first let's catch up on the latest developments in this vexing issue Um, bryce i'm going to kick off with congressional
0: hearings you uh, know, you waiting, can't go wrong with waiting. congressional hearings. We've done shows on them over and over, and they're the gift that keep on giving, so please give it to us. So it's, uh, it's
1: over a month now since the first of the UAP hearings was held before the, Senate Intelligence, uh, the House Intelligence Committee, and what a big fizzer that was. And so we're all waiting with bated breath to see whether or not there's going to be another hearing. Lou Elizondo has dropped hints in a podcast in the last few days that, quote, he, will, he said not to be surprised if another hearing is forthcoming and not to be surprised if we see some, quote, familiar faces. Hmm. Maybe we'll get a hearing and maybe it'll be Lou Elizondo himself who's deposed before the next UAP report is tabled in the Congress.
0: Well, it's shocking to hear that Lou Elizondo was on a podcast since he's retired from the podcast duty so many times publicly, but I'm glad that he's still out there and he's he's laying it out for us. And you know what I hear on the same topic, of course, is that the January 6th committee is really sucking all the air out of the room right now. And just from a, a pure strategic and PR point of view, nobody wants to put on UAP hearings and try to compete with that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if as soon as these uh, uh, January 6th hearings uh, wrap up, That there's some kind of announcement. And what we learned last time, of course, Ross, was that they can announce a hearing and have one right away. I mean, they announced that uh, House hearing. And then I believe six days later, they had it. So it may not have been the world's greatest hearing, but it was one of the world's (laughs) fastest hearings.
1: Yeah, what I heard was that it was possibly going to be a subcommittee of the House uh, Senate Armed Services Committee called the Emerging Threats Subcommittee. And the reason that's significant is because Senator Kirsten Gillibrand is on that committee. So uh, she's she's the one who's been quite outspoken and pushing for um, uh, these hearings. So maybe this is the big opportunity for somebody who actually knows what she's talking about to actually ask some good questions.
0: I believe that uh, Senator Gillibrand is a former prosecutor herself, if if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, she sure knows her way around asking questions. We have a bonus video up on our YouTube site where she is talking to the person who's about to get the, uh, uh, it's the guy that basically said he would get back to her. She was asking him questions. He would get back to
1: her. I I think it was the defense inspector general
0: yes the inspector general thing yes absolutely yeah. and he was uh he was dodging and weaving you know i'll get back to you senator and and she just said you know what why don't you get back to me in writing before we vote and again <laughs> you know we we've loved this one and like i say it's up on our youtube his two-word answer was yes ma'am so he really <laughs> knows how how to ask a question and how to get an answer so compared to some of the lame uh stuff that happened in the house committee if, if we get a Senate committee and Gillibrand is, gets some time to start asking questions, I say that'll be some fireworks.
1: Now, Bryce, one of the most momentous things to happen this month is NASA's announcement that it's setting up its own independent study into UAPs. And it, it's significant because we know that the head of NASA, Bill Nelson, who, a former senator we know that he's been given the briefing. He's seen the videos. He knows what's not being revealed to the public. And if you recall, I think back November last year, he said in very intriguing comments about the Navy's tic-tac sighting in 2004, who am I to say that planet Earth is the only location of a life form that is civilized and organized like ours? So, So NASA's going to do its own study. This is significant, you think?
0: It's totally significant. And, and I think you're right about uh, Bill Nelson. He and Gillibrand and a few others uh, on the Hill and and, and in Washington, DC, are, are starting to become my new heroes when they speak like that, because it, he does sound like a breath of fresh air. Because remember, historically, NASA has sort of said, We don't touch UFOs. I mean, if you go back to Jimmy Carter, when he first got elected, he came in and he wasn't getting the uh, cooperation he was hoping for uh, to be as forthcoming about the UFO issue as he told people he would be during the campaign. And so he actually started fishing around to see if NASA would take on the job. And NASA turned him down cold, said, we don't want anything to do with that. And that has sort of been their position over the years until along comes a our, our new administrator. You know, I, I wrote down a couple of quotes from that uh, uh, press conference where they announced that they were going to do this. The first is from a guy named Thomas Zerbuchin. I hope I got that name right. He is the associate administrator for science at NASA. But here's what he said. He said, NASA believes that the tools of scientific discovery are powerful and apply here also. We have access to a broad range of observations of Earth from space, and that is the lifeblood of scientific inquiry. We have the tools and team who can help us improve our understanding of the unknown. That's the very definition of what science is. That's what we do. I mean, wow, thank you.
1: One other line he actually said, which I thought was enormously significant was, we're not scared of reputational risk. And initially, I sort of balked at that and thought, oh, you you fop, you know, really, why would you be worried about reputational risk when everybody's admitted that these things, whatever the hell they are, are real? And then I thought, no, it is significant because you've got a NASA scientific official admitting that he's not going to accept the stigma associated with UAPs. They are going to engage with this scientifically. Now, can I just have a, a little minor gripe for a moment yeah. uh, yes. right, Please about do. this NASA announcement? It, you have to read the fine print in the NASA announcement. It turns out it's only going to be a nine-month study. And they're only giving it a tiny budget
0: of $100,000. Ross, it's worse than that. They said up to $100,000, that it might be just 10 grand. I mean, you know, I can't go get a used car for 10 grand around here these days. So if that's all they're going to spend on it, they better be borrowing a lot of data from other people.
1: So I did some sums, I looked at the estimate co- estimated costs, currently the estimated costs of giant moon rocket, the, the NASA giant moon rocket, which is called the space launch system. It's blown out massively in expenditure. And it's apparently going to cost $4.1 billion US dollars per launch. So I figure that $100,000, if they spend all of it, would get just Two kilograms of payload into low Earth orbit—it kind of puts perspective into it. Kind of th- puts things into perspective, doesn't it? That that really, in the long run, for an organisation that spends billions of dollars, to suddenly turn around after sixty years and say, "You know what? We are taking UFOs seriously. We are going to investigate them, and what's more, we're going to spend." Up to a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars.
0: What it proves to me, Ross, is that the stigma is still alive and it's, but it's, it's a different spin on it. So yes, uh, Bill Nelson wants to say we're open to it and we're going to do it. And that's the message. That's, that's him attempting to say, look, we're on the job, we take it seriously. However, they don't want to suffer the slings and arrows that they would get if they were spending a lot of money because they know that there are people in Congress and there are also people all over the United States and around the world who would say, oh, you're wasting your money, we have, and then name your problem. We have this problem or that problem or this problem and you guys wanna spend money looking into UFOs. But I will say one thing, if they do start grabbing uh, data from other places and pulling it together and analyzing it with their own capabilities i mean they have a lot of already built-in things that they can go to that they don't have to build from scratch whereas they can pull data from them but they do say that they're going to be open i the other quote comes from a guy named daniel evans who apparently is the official who's responsible for actually getting the study done and he says consistent with nasa's principles of openness transparency and scientific integrity the report will be shared publicly so that's good news he says all of nasa's data is available to the public we take that obligation seriously and we make it easily accessible for anyone to see or study so you know yes it's a mixed message i i, I can't deny to you that when i saw hundred thousand dollars i thought you know um that's not a lot of money
1: You know, the other thing that NASA announced in the small print in their press release was that they are going to make no use of secret military data. So you just think about that. It means they're not going to look at any of the NRO satellites. There's not going to be any looking at any of the feeds from military satellites. A lot of those classified shuttle missions, where we've seen weird objects on some of the video feeds coming from the shuttle, all of that, I suspect, will probably be excluded. But. Bryce, there is an optimistic hope on the horizon because from the other side of the world comes Mother Russia. Russia has announced, Russia has announced that it, is going to conduct its own study into these UFO reports. The space agency chief, Dmitry Rogozin, who's the head of Roscosmos, the Russian I space agency. I could listen
0: agent. to you read Russian names all day long. Uh, you know, I feel be- like
1: breaking out into a balalaika and doing a bit That's, of a dance. That's uh, beautiful. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but he said, in an interview with Rossiya, the 24-hour news channel, the Russian CNN, He said that 99% of all these UFO reports were later identified as atmospheric and other physical phenomena, but, but he also acknowledged that quote, we might be a subject to some external observation. That was a clear reference to the possibility of somebody else.
0: Well, he also said, hey, we study bacteria. I mean, maybe somebody's looking at us like we look at bacteria, which I thought, unless the translation is wrong, that's a pretty provocative thing for somebody to say. And uh, I do think, and I don't have an explanation for this, maybe you do, but it seems odd to me that in the same week that the United States and Russia both announce that their space agencies are going to look into UFOs, I mean... Was that just coincidence? I mean, what, what, what's going no, on? it
1: wasn't. And it wasn't. And, and also, just add to the bow, um, President Bill Clinton, former President Bill Clinton, went on James Corbell uh, this week, and uh, yeah. Reggie Watts, the band leader, asked a great question. He said, Mr. President, what's your viewpoint on these objects that seem to divide all laws of physics? And the audience did what audiences do whenever UFOs yeah. get mentioned. They did right. that nervous laugh. And you know what Mr. Clinton did? He looked at I the audience. I hope he said, did, "Don't laugh." No, he What'd actually looked at the audience and he said, "That is a legitimate question now," and he picked them up on it. I, and I'm, I'm thinking really that, that was actually a that's a turning moment in destigmatizing this issue, because you know former presidents receive the U.S. government's top secret intelligence briefings. They know that's, what's going that's on. That's
0: built. That is Bill Clinton unleashed. Hey, you know, as long as we're talking about the media and NASA, uh, do I have time to do a little pet peeve bit here? What do you think? Sure. Can I? All right. Listen, we like to keep tabs, folks, on the steep climb that the media and the science community often continue to force the cause of UAP honesty to hike up. So today's contribution in my pet peeve comes from the news rundown from the staff of the magazine called Science. All right. Their so-called news-at-a-glance lists important stories that happen during the week, all right? And they do have one that is called NASA Steps into the UFO Hunt. All right, so far, so good. Let me tell you what comes before the NASA one. There's a report about a dust grain that's one-tenth of a millimeter that hit the Webb telescope, but it's not a problem. There's another one about how the U.S. is next funding to research collaborations with Russia. Then it's followed by the World Health Organization saying, don't rule out China labs for COVID. Then there's an underwater chasm in the Atlantic Ocean being proposed, but not yet, a marine sanctuary. But we're not done yet, folks. They're still reporting about the UK having legislation that would force universities not to take money from foreign governments. Hasn't passed yet. Next up, two storm-watching satellites had a failure to launch. I get, I get the still point. Going now. There's movement to rename monkeypox because its name is discriminating and stigmatizing. And it goes on and on. If you're counting... It gets to one at the end that says, and then one more, it appears a troubled research facility for beagles is going to close. (laughs) So if you're keeping count, science put 10 different reports, all of which science considers more important than the fact that NASA, after years of declining to touch the UFO issue, is actually going to investigate it. Now, I'm still a little shocked by this, Ross, but I guess I'm no longer surprised.
1: You know, the thing that really shocked me, I think, in ending this segment, we should acknowledge that the thing that I think flagged NASA's intentions in this report, this study that they're going to do, is that they actually declared that there is no evidence of extraterrestrial life on this planet. So if that wasn't prejudging the conclusions that they're destined to make, uh, I'd be surprised because it was a great disappointment. I mean, just this week, Bryce, I'll finish this segment because I was going to talk about the drones, but um, you know the fact that drones seem to be becoming the new swamp gas. But I'm just going to finish this segment referring to an incident that happened in 1981. I had a correspondent got in touch with me who was a crewman on board the aircraft carrier USS Eisenhower in 1981. And what he's told me is shocking because he says a missile was potentially fired at a giant black triangle hovering over the USS Eisenhower. And uh, it's fascinating because basically what he describes is... um, A triangular, not equilateral object, more like a giant's pizza slice as big as the cruiser that was right next to the USS Eisenhower was either the USS South Carolina or the USS Virginia, both nuclear-powered cruisers. The object hovering over that cruiser had a huge amber light in its bottom center, three lights in each corner. One red, the others blue and green. It was mesmerizingly beautiful, much like the projection TV screens of that era. The skin of that craft was polished with something an auto-detailer would die for. To say we were stunned was an understatement. We all, there were seven of us up there at the time, asked each other if we were seeing it too. We wanted to be sure we weren't going crazy. Then the ship is called to general quarters and a missile is fired. And Bryce, you know what the public were told? A Nothing. missile was, uh, no they were, there was a declaration oh. made. I did some research. The public was told that a missile was accidentally deployed off the ship oh, near, big Puerto, accident. near Puerto Rico. Now, this is why I don't buy this official line from NASA or the Pentagon, that there is no evidence of something. There is evidence of something else. And that's why predetermined conclusions should not be accepted. We're way past that.
0: We're way past predetermined conclusions. Also, everything keeps getting couched in terms of we're going to go get the data. We're going to get data. We're going to look into all the machinery we have that can give us data. Well, you know what? What about good witnesses? What about the photos? What about the videos? Clearly, uh, we know people in Congress who are getting into some of those uh, meetings are coming out, quote, gobsmacked. Well, you know what? I'd like to be gobsmacked. I'd like to see the stuff that they're gobsmacking about, because I think it's time for us to see that stuff. And I think we need to
1: go to the end of this segment and come back in 1947 with the summer of the sources.
0: Need to Know continues in a moment. Well, we're back and we want to talk about the 1947 Summer of the Saucers. You know, back in 1947, the public narrative about flying saucers began with the Kenneth Arnold sighting, and it deepened in mystery two weeks later with the Roswell crash. And that same summer saw the creation of the Air Force and the Central Intelligence Agency. And then it ended with the famous Twining Memo. I mean, nothing has ever been the same since that time. It was literally... uh, the biggest UFO year ever, and because, uh, you know, Ross mentioned we're doing the anniversary, it is the 75th anniversary. So uh, I just put one thing out there, Ross, for us to sort of give us a little perspective. Uh, According to the United Nations, the average human lifespan, and it may have gone down a little bit from COVID, but it was 73.6 years. So the cover-up, if you will, uh, that started in 1947 is now longer than a normal human lifespan. So that's kind of a long time.
1: It sure is. And, and frankly, if we don't remember what happened in 1947, we're never going to understand the history that we have now. Because I think a lot of what I mean, if you accept that Roswell wasn't a mogul balloon, Uh, just a weather balloon of some kind or some kind of scientific research balloon to monitor the Soviets. If you accept that it was, and I think the evidence is overwhelming, that it was some kind of a crash of something that the military didn't want us to know about, and that that cover up continues today. That really was, wasn't it, the beginning of the modern UFO era?
0: Listen, uh, completely. Um, Just a little shameless plug here. Tomorrow, I believe, uh, The Debrief uh, uh, has an article that I've written called Summer of the Saucers, which is on this very topic. And, you know, one of the things, uh, there's a quote that comes from William Shakespeare in The Tempest, and he wrote What's Past is Prologue. It's a great quote because uh, Oliver Stone has used it, I believe, on his movies. And the irony about the what you know the past is what's past this prologue is that it's on the national archives building in washington dc and the military quotes it all the time about the various wars fought throughout history and you know what i think is uh, interesting about this is uh, The past does tell us a lot about the future. What we have uh, happening around us right now is an attempt to sort of gaslight us. Uh, The two guys that spoke before the House Intelligence Committee, uh, those guys uh, were basically saying, yeah, I don't really know anything about what happened before uh, this stuff with the Nimitz back in 2004. Don't really don't really. Know that, so I think we should school them a little bit. But um, the one thing I would like to do is just sort of give everybody a little bit of context. Uh, 1947 does seem like a long time ago—75 years ago. But I want you to remember just the world as it was then, and then we'll tell you what why uh, the summer of the sausage was so important. We were the only nuclear-armed superpower. We are the only superpower coming out of uh, World War II. The United States was uh, more powerful, more secure than ever before in history. Uh, 1947 was the year the Cold War started when uh, the Truman Doctrine came out. Uh, It was the origin year for the Doomsday Clock when uh, uh, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists decided to start telling us how close we were to nuclear war. Europe was a mess. The Marshall Plan hadn't even started to clean it up. It was the year that Chuck Yeager uh, broke the sound barrier by going uh, 662 miles per hour. And it was also on June 23rd, 1947, the year... Uh, that the the day that the Taft-Hartley Act was passed, and people were all talking about that. It was a reversal for the Truman administration. Well, what a difference a day makes, because one day later, instead of focusing on Washington, D.C., the eyes of the nation were pivoting to what was going on in Washington state.
1: Is it fair to say, Bryce, that the America of 1947 was more trusting in authority back then, 75 years ago?
0: Well, uh, so. yes, my friend, that is certainly the case. Uh, we got out of World War II, and uh, people thought, well, we did pretty good there. It was wasn't a picnic, but we we stopped Hitler, and I think people were feeling pretty good about it. And and frankly, they thought that the government had uh, done the right thing and 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 had executed pretty well. But what happened in my lifetime certainly is three events that completely eroded confidence in the U.S. government. Um, they included. Um, the Kennedy assassination, when JFK was killed and then Oswald was killed two days later, a lot of people said, that's not right. You know, something's fishy here. And then along comes the Vietnam War, where the government is lying about the body counts and uh, people were seeing their sons dying overseas for a war they didn't really understand. And then that got followed up by Watergate, where the president of the United States was uh, openly... Uh, attack, again, a, a sort of an attack on democracy by breaking into the Democratic headquarters and then lying about it. So these three events really did, Ross, take down uh, our our belief in uh, the, the honesty of the American government, which I think if you, uh, as history books are written in the future, and you start to now see that the, the UFO situation and history need to be told as one story instead of one story and then a supposition. Once they kind of merge together, well, that's going to be a powerful story.
1: Can I offer my opinion on why that era, 75 years ago, that year, 75 years ago, was so significant? I mean, I think it's got something to do with the fact that We're being told now by Moultrie and Bray and the evidence to the Congress that, gee, wow, this is just a very recent discovery. These UFOs, these UAPs, they are real. My goodness me. But the thing that leapt out at me when I was doing my research for my book was the fact that in 1947, the military the US Air Force, everybody was being quite open about the fact that this was a mystery that was confounding them. They were acknowledging publicly that these events were happening. Um, There were reports from the Los Alamos nuclear laboratories, the uh, sensitive areas in the Nevada test range. There were reports of strange anomalous objects doing maneuvers over scientists, over military officials. And this was being acknowledged in many cases in public Uh, reporting. And I I think one of the things that leapt out at me was, you know, airline pilots were openly canvassing, for example, that they were seeing these anomalous objects. It was an era where the UAP, the UFO mystery was much more openly discussed. And I think it shows the lie to the notion that today, oh, my goodness me, the Congress has just acknowledged these things are real. Because 75 years ago, Right up until probably from 1947, when this first kicked off, to around about 1952, after the Washington flyover, the military was broadly much more open than it is today.
0: A little bit. I, I, I always, uh, I have to beg to differ a little bit on that, because remember, 1947 in July is the time when uh, the, the military actually put out a press release saying we've recovered a flying disk uh, here in Roswell. And then the very next day, they said, "Never mind," and really kind of put the kibosh on that whole storyline. Uh, it's also a time where um, that you know that that the military, was writing memos, we talked about the Twining Memo, maybe we'll talk about that again, but they were writing internal memos for each for themselves that were being circulated throughout the Pentagon that were kind of open about the whole thing, but we didn't get a chance to see those memos until the Freedom of Information Act allowed them out. So there were times, and I'll give you the, the, the point for sure, in 1952, when there were all the overflights over Washington, D.C., and it was kind of hard to ignore that this was happening, uh, it is true that the military did have a big news conference. They really couldn't do much else about it where they admitted uh, that they were uh, looking into it. But certain things didn't get admitted. Like Harry Truman demanded after those uh, th- th- that 1952 overflights, he demanded to have uh, briefings every three months. They didn't tell the, the nation that he was looking into UFOs. In fact, publicly, they were acting like nothing to see here. So I, I don't know. I, I think there's truth on both sides of it. They were probably more open in some respects than they are now, but but I can't give them a pass on it. They The, the fix kind of came in. And, and, you know, let me put that in context and I'll toss it over to you um, so that folks understand this. In On June 24th, the day after that Taft-Hartley Act was in the news, uh, Kenneth Arnold, a pilot uh, in, in Washington state, uh, saw nine different flying saucers, if you will, that were flying across uh, his his sight line. And he estimated that they were going 1,700 miles per hour. And remember, this is the time when I said that um, uh, the sound barrier with the X-1 was being broken at 662. So a pretty big deal. And the thing is, flying saucers caught the world and the United States literally by storm in uh, the summer of 1947 and it continued. But then Ross, I got to tell you shortly after Roswell, which was an, sort of announced on July 8th with that press release sometime in July, the media kind of the media. So I, I, I don't know, again, i maybe I'm not talking about the government. I am talking about the media, the media, which had been very open in discussing these cases. And there were many, many, many great cases being reported. Suddenly the media took another point of view. That it was all about denial and ridicule, and it was like saying, "Yeah, what can you believe about these people? They must all be kind of hallucinating. They must have." So, been do you worried. think
1: there was? Do you think there was a cover up? I mean, obviously, you believe there was a cover up with Roswell. I, I do. Yes, frankly, I, I, I do. I do I certainly. Do. I don't know. I don't know what okay. they were covering up for sure, but I do believe there was a cover up. that's irrefutable. But- Uh, But uh, do you believe there was a cover up that went through 1947 that there was a change in the way the media reported this issue because it was decided that they just had to shut down public commentary about an issue that they were now investigating very aggressively behind the scenes?
0: Well, I can't argue that the media was taking chapter and verse from the U.S. government that they should treat cases with less seriousness, although there have been books written like The Missing Times, I think, is is a book that does allege that the CIA was involved in, in using assets they had at, at, in newspapers around the country to sort of poo-poo the whole flying saucer thing. So that, that kind of did happen. And and I do think the military realized they had a pretty big problem and they tried not to make it uh, into a, a big deal. So yeah, I, I think you could make an argument that things uh, not only uh, blew up in 1947, but then they got put back in the box as successfully as they could. Uh, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, was, so I was going to ask, I was going to ask, do you think it's possible then, in this modern era that the same kind of shutdown could occur again? I mean, we like to value the fact that we have an aggressive and questioning media. But frankly, I, I mean, as a member of the media myself, I think the, the current state of world media is pretty appalling. And and the era where there was aggressive and incisive investigative reporting from major mastheads into issues that require investigation is well and truly over. And frankly, I worry I'm very worried that the kind of shutdown that occurred in 1947, the very clear manipulation of the media, because I do, I do think media manipulation was happening at that time. I'm worried it could happen again. Uh, and frankly, we're more susceptible to it now than, than before.
0: I take your point. Uh, I think there are some differences. Um, I, I, I hope it doesn't happen again. That would certainly not serve the public's best interest. There are a couple of differences. Uh, you talked about how people trusted the government uh, back then more than they they do now. So certainly, was true about the media as well. Uh, you know, back in in those days, the there well, it was an entirely different kind of media. There were three uh, television networks, so if you didn't get past them, you didn't get your message out. There were there was a newspaper in every city, and that was basically. Uh, that there were the guardians of that. And so for UFO people like Donald Kehoe and people like that that were studying, James McDonald studying the, ca- uh, the situation in the day, they had to contend with very few avenues to express their opinions. But you look at today, I'm not saying it's great, but it, it, it is a bit messy. But with, the, uh, with Twitter and YouTube and all the social media and, the, uh, and, and cable and streaming and the, the sheer amount of content, Um, I don't think that something this big that is being talked about this publicly and has literally now been admitted by the government as being a real phenomenon, I don't think you put it back in the box. Now, that's just me. I'm not trying to be Pollyanna here. I'm not trying to say, oh, I think it's all going to be beautiful and work out. I'm just saying there are forces unleashed in terms of getting people uh, uh, information that could never were unleashed during the 40s, 50s and 60s.
1: So what were the key events in 1947 that you think our audience need to know about?
0: Well, I, I I think the Kenneth Arnold case is what everybody says kicked it off. All right. And, you know, we don't have time to tell the whole Kenneth Arnold story, but it's a pretty good case. He was a credible pilot. He had like 9,000 hours of flying time. And uh, he, he did a a really good report but people think well that was the starter's pistol but the truth is there were a number of things that were being reported prior to kenneth arnold kenneth Arnold's story goes public and then what happens is a lot of those people who had seen things and there were many chose to come forward and tell people about what what they had seen and you know instead of talking about kenneth arnold ross because um you know again There's lots of information. You can go read the Wikipedia page on him. Read my article in the debrief. I mean, there's a lot about Kenneth Arnold in it. I want to focus on a case that's a little more interesting to me. Um, And and you mentioned about pilot cases and and airlines. Okay. When Kenneth Arnold reported what he saw, there was a pilot, a United Airlines pilot, um, a a fellow named uh, Captain Smith, Captain Emil J. Smith. And he basically said, you know... I've he was asked by the media and he said, I've never seen anything like Arnold's flying saucers. And the other pilots say they haven't either. And what that other fellow Arnold probably saw was a reflection of his own instrument panel. So basically, this guy was saying, don't believe Arnold. He doesn't know what he's talking about. This stuff doesn't happen. Well, okay. one week later, one week after Arnold's thing or 11 days. This guy, Captain Smith, is off in United Airlines number uh, 105. He's eight minutes into his flight in clear weather, and they saw five disk-like objects heading straight for their DC-3. And Smith and his co-pilot, Ralph Stevens, observed the objects, reverse direction, and take up a course literally parallel with their own. They were able to see them clearly. And uh, when those took off, a second group came and followed them. And uh, so... This guy became, went from being a skeptical uh, person about what Arnold had said to having had his own pretty incredible sighting. And this was uh, one of the very first airline sightings. It's been hugely underreported. And I think it's just a powerful, powerful case because um, you know, these guys weren't making it up.
1: You know, one of the things <laughs> when you use that term, the summer of the sources, it really was. I mean, I, all through, there was clearly anomalous phenomena all over the United States. And I I didn't realize until I started combing newspaper reports and reading the history books of that era, there were a plethora of sightings. It was an amazing flock of UFOs seen right across the United States. What was going on with the nuclear testing at the time? Were they testing weaponry in the uh, Nevada test Uh, range at that period?
0: Well, let's face it. Well, actually, New Mexico was kind of the hot seat of nuclear research and so forth. So that would explain Roswell, the only nuclear bomber base in the the world. Um, Yeah, a lot of stuff was going down in the summer of 47, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sightings, and they're really good. And one thing I wanted to point out for people is on our website, needtoknow.today. So again, that's needtoknow, spell it out, .today. You can download the report on 1947 that was written by a man named Ted Blecker and did a great job of it. And in that to answer, you know what you were saying, Ross. These various reports—there's hundreds of them—and many of them look parallel to what we've been reporting today. There's even things that sound like a tic tac. Uh, there's there's sightings of landings. There's, I mean, and and at the time, because it was so crazy, people in 1947 were like, "Whoa, that can't be!" And so. What happened is a lot of that got dismissed. But now knowing what we know, including the fact the government has said it's real, and now you go read these cases again, it's a powerful thing. I urge people to download that document and read it, and it'll it'll blow some minds.
1: Now, speaking of tic-tacs, I think when we come back, we need to come back to this issue of drones, UASs, Unidentified um, Aerial Systems, um, I'm sorry, Unmanned Aerial Systems, because I think we need to address a looming counter-explanation that's coming up in ufology, the claim that whatever this phenomena is, it's going to be plausibly explained as drones.
0: Stay with us. We're back in a moment, because you need to know.
1: Welcome back to Need to Know. I'm Ross Coulthart and my co-host Bryce Sable is with me. Now, we were talking earlier about the summer of the sources, 1947, which was very much the year that kicked off the UFO era. Now, Bryce, one of the questions I want to ask you, my friend, is do you buy into the conspiracy theory that... 1947 saw the formation of the Central Intelligence Agency and the US Air Force. It had only only been part of the army during World War II. And the conspiracy theory has it that the formation of both of these agencies came about as a result of the momentous discovery of alleged extraterrestrial civilizations visiting our planet in 1947. Do you give that credence? (laughs)
0: No, I don't. I think we can dismiss that one pretty much out of hand just by looking at the calendar. But uh, to set up what you said, the National Security Act uh, was proposed in 1947 and passed in uh, 1947. And that act, among many things that it did, is it took the Army Air Force, which was Uh, you know the the air force during world war ii but it gave it its own specific branch of the service and it also created the cia but here's the interesting thing they were talking about doing things like that in 1946 and also um the the cia had a precursor the central intelligence group and of course the air force had a precursor um you know the army air force uh and 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 they i believe um were pat- or signed into law in July and became law in September. So there really was no time to try to dump uh, Roswell or any other Summer of the saucer stuff onto them. It was uh, just a, a moment. But now what's interesting is both the Air Force and the Central Intelligence Agency went on to have very large roles in trying to, uh, delve into the truth behind the saucer situation. So cover up, come on,
1: let's be nasty about it. They had a huge role, particularly the both of them in trying to cover up the whole bloody thing. Well, they certainly did.
0: And, you know, I think we should actually do the CIA uh, for an entire episode coming up, but just to, you know, put a bow on 1947. So, um, Three days before the summer of the saucers ended, I believe the um, the National Security Act uh, uh, takes over. And then right after it, at the same time, there was a memo uh, going around inside the Pentagon. And it ended up being uh, put together by a Lieutenant General Nathan Twining, and uh, it became very famous because it was, as I said, it was not circulated uh, to the public. They never saw anything like this. And it really didn't get circulated widely, even in the Pentagon, because there was a lot of security around it. But what Twining wrote in his memo is, is it's a it's a barn burner, not only for its time, but for all time. He said, and this is the famous part, he said, it is the opinion that the phenomenon is something real and not visionary or fictitious, okay? So he was acknowledging in 1947, what our own government really hasn't acknowledged until 2021, all right? And in further clear language, this is what he said. The reported operating characteristics, such as extreme rates of climb, maneuverability, particularly in roll, and action, which must be considered evasive when cited, lend belief to the possibility that some of the objects are controlled either manually, automatically, remotely, which, by the way, if they're remotely controlled, Ross, I think that brings us to what you said we we're going to talk about here, which is drones. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, uh, in 1947, the United States government, the Chinese government, the, uh, air, uh, the Russian Soviet Union uh, government did not have drones that had those characteristics. So even if there are drones flying around today that are pretty advanced, I'm not sure I'm making the connection here.
1: Well, it puts pay to the idea that there was some private aerospace company that's developed these drones today that uh, possibly, how could they possibly have had them 75 years ago? I mean, the reality is that if the phenomenon was manifesting itself 75 years ago, it's been here for three quarters of a century so this notion that there's just been this very recent discovery of this phenomenon is patently absurd. And I guess that's why I wanted to come to that those words that came out of the mouths of Mr. Schiff um, in the uh, hearings before uh, the uh, Congress. Congressman Schiff um, asked the question in relation to the second two videos that were shown, the, the ones that showed triangles. And he asked of Scott Bray, the director of naval intelligence, quote, the hypothesis is that those are commercial drones and that because of the use of night vision goggles, they appear like triangles. Is that the operating assessment? And clearly, I think Mr. Shifford had had some intimation that this is what the Navy wanted to say. And Mr. Bray went, yes, some type of drone, some type of unmanned aerial system. And it's simply that that light source resolves itself through the night vision goggles onto the SLR camera as a triangle. And that's called bokeh. Now, it's an open question, frankly, Bryce, whether or not there is... um, a triangle that was filmed over a ship, but it is starting to look like at least some of these objects that have been filmed off US Navy vessels are indeed drones of some kind. And indeed, in the report that was published by our colleagues from the the war zone, which is part of the drive.com, there was indeed a, a picture of an object that looked faintly like a quadcopter drone. And I'm a little bit worried that in all the evidence that was tendered a month ago before the Congress, we saw a very blurry, opaque image of a spherical object zooming past a plane. Now we're being fed this line that these are drones. And it ignores our history. It ignores the fact that Twining, General Nathan Twining, 75 years ago was talking about the possibility of unmanned aerial systems 75 years ago. There were, were remote controlled unmanned objects operating in our skies even back then in the best opinion as a possibility of the uh, the U.S. Air Force. So I think that's why we need to remember this history. And I, I just want to address the drones issue because um there are as well as the navy vessels because i've 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 got to be careful here because i have to protect sources i've i've had the privilege in the last few weeks of speaking to people who've been on some of these navy ships which is why i've been pushing it a little bit on social media they agree that yes in some of these engagements there have been what were probably drones, perhaps not commercial drones, but maybe military drones of some kind. But in some of the videos, you see objects doing anomalous things. And some of those people had actually seen this with their own eyeballs. And they're saying, these weren't drones. These weren't things that, that we can equate with a modern drone system. The, the movements were too erratic. The, 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 uh, the velocity, the acceleration was too rapid. And I, I think we need to remember this. And we need to also link back with the fact that there are a series of unsolved mysteries with drones that, that the drone's explanation doesn't cover satisfactorily. Remember that 2020 2021, all over the Midwest of of the United States, there were warnings. There were warnings that there were drone swarms hovering over communities right across Colorado and the Midwest. Uh, That was never explained. That mystery has never to this day been explained police officers, military FBI, I've spoken to some of these people, what they saw were not drones. But again, for some perverse reason, the explanation is being used that these are drones. And I just caution because whilst I accept that, yes, indeed, there are probably some commercial or military drones that are appearing from possible foreign adversaries, maybe China over some of these Navy vessels. It doesn't explain the phenomenon that has been widely seen, including right back in 1981 by the guy who wrote to me from the USS Eisenhower, who saw an equilateral triangle, a massive triangle with lights in each corner hovering over the cruiser adjacent to the aircraft carrier. Navy people are seeing to this day and have been seeing right through those 75 years back World War II back to 1947, they have been seeing anomalous phenomena over their ships, especially nuclear-powered ships, and that's what the Congress needs to get its teeth into. That's what it needs to investigate. And before I finish my little rant, Bryce, the other thing I wanted to point to was another unsolved mystery. The drones that were seen over Gatwick Airport a couple of years ago in London. They closed one of Britain's busiest airports for two days, massive disruption to travel at a really critical time of the year. And again, I've had the privilege of speaking to one person who saw the alleged drones and they say what they saw was not a drone. So why is it that officialdom is now using, in, even in evidence to the Congress, why are they starting to use this semantic term that makes the mysterious sound prosaic?
0: Well, there's a couple of answers to that. One is uh, they're trying to turn drones into the swamp gas of 2022. Uh, the, the explanation that you can sort of say, well, that's what's really going on. I just want to make one thing clear, Ross, because you did, that was a great, That was not even a rant. That was a measured explanation (laughs) of drones. Nobody is saying that there aren't drones everywhere right now. And nobody is saying that there aren't super advanced drones. But what we are saying is uh, there seems to be uh, a, a phenomenon that doesn't have that has a capability beyond anything that we think any drone could do today, let alone back in 1947 or in the fifties or the sixties or, or the seventies. Um, I, I, my, my take by the way, on why we're hearing a lot about drones is it, it is kind of the last gasps of covering up, uh, what's going on, which is, uh, you know, first there was, well, we, we don't think the U S makes them, but, uh, you know, maybe China or Russia. And that's sort of the, been the cover, the, the fig leaf that uh, Congress people are able to use to to ask uh, questions about uh, what our UAP, which they think are more exotic, but it gives them a little cover. So that's going on. That's probably what's uh, driving the whole drone thing. Um, listen, I know we got to get out of here. Um, and it's it's you know, every time we do one of these, Ross, I go, wow, I wish we had an hour and a half on the last five seconds we just talked about but you know that's why i guess we do these with regularity i just wanted to remind people again um if they want to read about 1947 that article is on our website need to and you can download it uh the article that i wrote about 1947 is on the debrief and i think it'll be out there tomorrow and um and ross if you'll forgive me i'm going to give you the last word but you know, and I know, understand your your issues with Bob Dylan and uh, and all that, but the song that he's going to end with tomorrow night—it's on his list—is a song called "Every Grain of Sand." I think he wrote it back in 1981, and I just want to read the final—you know—some of the words from it and think about the cover-up. He said, "Don't have the inclination to look back on any mistake like Cain." I now behold this chain of events that I must break of the flowers of indulgence and the weeds of yesteryear, like criminals, they have choked the breath of conscience and good cheer, which is pretty much how I feel about people who won't share their work and show us the good pictures and the good videos.
1: Well, hopefully, my friend, those possible criminals are going to be dragged kicking and screaming into the Congress someday soon and asked to, uh, to explain themselves. We can but hope. But that's For another episode of Need to Know. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. We can handle the truth.
0: Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. I'm producer Rich Johnson, and you can learn more at needtoknow.today. That's needtoknow.today.